the Bain Free Radio Hour. On the podcast, the Grand Admiral, the Prime Minister, and his National Security Advisor discuss the state of the Star Kingdom. Masons, Fermions, and Bosons mix it up with wine and cheese to become Partyons. Plus, we continue with the complete audiobook serialization of Alliance of Equals by Sharon Lee and Steve Miller. All right now. Welcome to the Bain Free Radio Hour podcast. It's an honor to have you along. I'm Bain editor Tony Daniel. This time we have part one of a two-part roundtable discussion with David Weber and members of a couple of fan organizations devoted to his work. We have the head of the Royal Manticoran Navy, Grand Admiral Martin Lessam, and Christopher Weave, the current director of BU-9, the Honorverse Consulting Group, along with Arius Kaufman, another BU-9 member, who thinks about the societal regulation and monetary arrangements within the Honorverse. And finally, we have Anton Peterson, a fan, author, science fiction conventional liaison with decades of experience. This group will discuss the relationship of an author with his fans and readers and the give and take that results. Here, using the special case, and maybe the ideal case, since they all do it so well, of David Weber and his fandom and readership. You might even call this a best practices seminar. So that's coming up. And we continue with the complete audiobook serialization of Sharon Lee and Steve Miller's Leaden Universe novel, Alliance of Equals. Now here's the news. Believe it or not, April showers bring May hardcovers and trade paperback originals. Yes, yes, yes. Next Tuesday, the Bain May new books appear at booksellers everywhere. Tuesday happens to be May 1st, but new books in general appear at the bookstores on the first Tuesday of each month anyway. Why this should be requires an advanced degree, and who really cares in the explanation is kind of boring anyway, which is a vast subject area that covers many other topics also. Anyway, new at booksellers is Uncharted by Kevin J. Anderson and Sarah A. Hoyt. This is book one in the Arcane America series, A New World, New Magic, and New History. After Halley's Comet was destroyed in a magical battle in 1759, the backlash separated the entire New World from the old in an event known as the Sundering. Now isolated from the rest of the globe, America has become a very different place where magic works and history has been changed forever. It's 1803, a new 1803. Young Meriwether Lewis, footloose and intrigued, goes to hear a lecture in St. Louis by venerated old wizard Benjamin Franklin. Franklin's talk is disrupted by the attack of a winged, fire-breathing beast, much like the legend from Lewis's own Welch heritage. In the aftermath, Franklin tells the young man that he knows of a great growing evil that lurks in the uncharted arcane territories west of the Mississippi. Franklin commissions Lewis and his own talented partner, William Clark, to embark on a remarkable voyage of exploration, to meet and document the indigenous tribes, to find a route all the way to the Pacific Ocean and perhaps beyond the magical veil to Europe again, and to stop the growing evil that is filling the American West. Also out in May is Oblivion by Steve White and Charles E. Gannon. This is the latest entry in the long-running and popular Starfire series, originally created by Steve White and David Weber. 
stand against the alien invader apocalypse. The war with the profoundly alien Arduans has ended, and the Arduans have come to call humanity their allies. Most of them, that is, the Arduan warrior caste refuses to accept defeat. Now known as the Kaituni, they are waging a war of extermination against all members of the Pan-Sentient Union, human and Arduan alike. What's more, the Kaituni have an unexpected weapon in their arsenal, the alien arachnids, once thought driven to extinction. The Kaituni pushed the arachnid fleet ahead of them, inflicting untold damage. The odds looked bleak, but Admiral Ian Trevane and Commodore Ossian Weathermere have faced down long odds in the past. It's time to take a stand for Earth, for humanity, and for the Pan-Sentient Union. Uncharted by Kevin J. Anderson and Sarah A. Hoyt and Oblivion by Steve White and Charles E. Gannon are available May 1st, Tuesday, 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 at booksellers everywhere. This is part one of a two-part interview. Part two will be available on next week's podcast. want to welcome to the podcast David Weber, Christopher Weave, Martin Lessam, Anton Peterson, and Arius Kaufman. Hi, guys. Hello. Hi. Hello. So we are going to bring to our listeners a roundtable discussion this time on the podcast. We know that the most important interaction with an author, that is, an author of books, is the reader who reads a book written by that author. But what about when it goes beyond that? What about the case when a reader becomes so interested in the world the author has created, the culture he's illustrated, and the characters he's brought to life, that there's a desire to take it farther or further, or whichever one is the right one, perhaps to interact with the author, uh, uh, definitely to interact with others who feel and think the same way. And then there's the author who experiences this wash of interest, even obsession, in his readers and fans, what do we make of this? What do we do with this? How does it become a good or even a very, very good thing? Which I think in this test case, which we will examine here, it it has. Uh, to talk about this, we brought together an amazing group. First of all, we have David Weber, the creator of the Honor Harrington series and the Honorverse within which it is set. This is a multiple New York Times bestselling series. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of fans and readers out there. And with us are folks who are kind of the apex of David Weber fans and readers and people interested in the Honorverse. And I'd like to sort of have you folks introduce yourself, tell us who you are in the Weber continuum, and maybe tell us also your secret identity in real life, because I've so many times been amazed at some of the backgrounds of David Weber fans and readers. Um, just, some, uh, just some cool folks out there that are into, the, into his stuff. Uh, so can we maybe start with Chris, uh, who is um, who's who's involved with Bu Nine, right, Chris? Right. So I, I'm Chris Weave. I'm one of the founders of Bu Nine, which is the uh, technical analytic visualization group that supports David. So um, when David says, like, I need to figure out how this particular thing I've been writing about for ten years actually works. We're the guys who can figure that out, and we can draw pictures of it and do all sorts of things like that. Um, in my day job, um, I've been a professor. At the Na I'm a naval analyst, and I used to be a war game designer. Um, I'm a 
former professor at the Naval War College where I was in the wargaming department, and before that I was at the Center for Naval Analysis where I was a wargame designer, and I also had this collateral duty of every now and then I'd get to go off on aircraft carriers and destroyers and cruisers and watch the Navy do exercises and help uh, help tell them what actually happened afterwards. Um, and so I got pulled into the David Weber uh, Honor Harrington orbit um, actually through a bunch of people that were hardcore Honor Harrington fans that were sort of being brought together by a game designer who was trying to make a movie. Um, so if you want to diagram that out, it's a, there's a lot of con weird connections here. <laughs> this is exactly what I mean. Just some of uh, the the sort of um, high powered individual who who is also a fan in in this particular group. What about you, Martin Lessum? Uh, so yeah, so uh, Martin Lessum. So in, in in this particular group, I am the the founder of the Royal Manticore Navy, which is the official Honor Harrington Fan Association. We're a group of about Oh, 5,000 ish people worldwide who all gotten together for our love of David's books. Um, in my, in my secret identity real life, um, I am an attorney who does regulatory affairs for pharmaceutical companies. So I help them deal with governmental agencies. Um, I'm a former naval officer and just a guy who likes to read a lot of science fiction books. What is your title in the RMN, by the way? I was, uh, so uh, I am the first. <laughs> yeah. So so I am the first lord <laughs> of the admiralty is the official title uh, in the fan universe. Um, from a corporate perspective, I'm the president and chairman of the board. What is David's title in the RMN, or does is it God? <laughs> uh, so so David has two official titles. David is either referred to as the creator, uh, or he is referred to as the prime minister. <laughs> And we're talking about the fan club and not the actual RN men, which doesn't exist either in David Weber's books. Oh, oh yes, it does. Oh. <laughs> well, actually, both of them sort of do, I guess. Um, and uh, what about you, Anton? Hi there, this is Anton Peterson. I have been working with both Bunine and I'm a member of the TRMN under Martin, which is a lot of fun. Um, I got involved with the David Weber universe because my one of my secret identities is that I work at a number of conventions, both science fiction and Japanese anime, and I was David's liaison back in 2006. So I have been staffing conventions now for about 20 years. So the organization utilizes me because I've been doing this for a long time. I've been a fan have of David since basically the, the two, early days. Um, have you been involved with the two um, sort of honor-based conventions, HonorCon and, and uh, Manticon? Yes, I've, I assisted with the first HonorCon uh, that came out um, in charge of the guests there, and that's what I do specifically. And for Manticon, I've been also in charge of guest relations there as well. And uh, Arius, how about you, Arius Kaufman? I'm back at the woods. Uh, yeah, I uh, I uh, joined BU9 back in 2009-ish. Uh, largely, my area of expertise has more to do with human trains, such as uh, sociopolitical uh, constructs, legal systems, economics, that kind of thing. In real life, uh, I actually have gone through several careers, including 
during the 90s, I was a uh, network admin and web software engineer, and then I became a naval analyst uh, uh, at the Center for Naval Analysis, and I have since left and have gotten my master's in education so I can uh, teach. We had a long conversation about your uh, your desire to teach uh, at a dinner one time. It was really, uh, really cool to talk to you about that. So, um, David, what do you, what do you think when these these sorts of individuals gather around? Uh, well, when when these sorts of you. individuals gather around, I check to make sure I'm armed. I mean, you know, now um, these are are really cool people. Now there are fans out there who are. There are some who probably genuinely are on the obsessive edge and. Uh, sometimes a little scary. Uh, there are some who just don't give you very much room to breathe uh, when, they, when, when they're with you. Um, the fans that I love the most are the ones who are obviously invested in the books um, and who love the, the, the characters, but who are not in the rarefied 0.5% of geekiness uh, where social interaction is not on the agenda. Um, I, that sounds bad, and I don't mean it to, because all of us who are involved in science fiction and fandom, we are geeks, or we wouldn't be there, okay? Um, but every so often you hit somebody who has latched onto a given universe, a given series. And this is sort of what gives their, their life meaning. And I remember my daughter Morgan talking about a young guy who was saying to her, boy, I'm, 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 I'm so glad I met you. I've got friends and everything. She turned around to, to my wife, Sharon, and said, Mom, I don't want to be his, his, his everything. Because that's not good for him. It, it, I'm speaking about the fan here, not the not the particular kid in question. It's not good for the fan, and it's it's hard on the writer to have somebody who has pretty much wrapped their entire life um, around around a construct that 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 you have you have put together. Um, now, none of the folks that we're we've got here on the podcast tonight are anywhere near that crowd. These are, I think you call them the apex. Uh, and in a lot of ways, that's, that's absolutely true. These are people who are, who are deeply invested in the books. Um, some of them have actually read them. Um, at least one hasn't, but we won't go there. Um, the, um, the, but they're, they're involved in the nuts and bolts of the universe. Okay. Um, and that's always really gratifying to the writer uh, because they somebody cares enough, you know, to get involved in the nuts and bolts. In a way, even when somebody writes you a, a letter to say it doesn't work that way, the fact that they got deeply involved enough to say, you know, what it doesn't work that way is is uh, is is gratifying. But I have said uh, many times that the thing that gives me the most gratification about the books is the quality of my readers. Okay, I know I've got some readers out there somewhere who are probably jerks. Um, I haven't actually met them. 
Um, I've met people who spend uh, a lot of time contributing to things like Big Cat Rescue, which is one of the TRMN's charities, uh, or to um, veteran support organizations. Um, I've got um, uh, a couple of fans who are deeply involved in food bank projects and animal rescue projects. Um, These are really, really worthwhile people. And if those people like your books, then it's a validation that you must be doing something right. I think that probably is the best way any fan can pay a writer back is to be the kind of person, give the kind of, of, um, of opportunity to say, you know what, my readers are good people. uh, And we did want to mention, maybe we should talk about that a little bit, the the way that um, Martin's group in particular has has raised some dough for for this charity, um, which uh, is an incredibly cool thing anyway in itself, the Big Cat Rescue. Uh, Martin, do you want to address that? Sure. So, I mean, it it really started because we had a member who came to me and said, hey, there's this bobcat that's been injured. And she said, is there anything that we as a group can do? And I thought about it for a few minutes. And I'd had some concept work at this point from View 9 on what the tree cats in David Weber's universe look like. They're these arboreal, six-legged cats with, with prehensile tails. And... If you look at the face of a tree cat and you look at the face of a bobcat, they're very similar. Um, so we figured, you know what, this is actually probably a good way for us to, to do something that has that connection to the books and that a lot of our members can get really behind. So we started sponsoring this cat at Big Cat Rescue, and, and quite honestly, it's, it's snowballed from there. We've managed to raise um, just about $2 million worth in in cash and equipment for them in about the last seven years, I think. Really? Holy moly, that's a lot of dough. Yeah. That's well, the TRMN. Go ahead, go ahead, Martin. Yeah, I was going to say, so a lot of that's also in equipment. We managed to get um, some veterinary schools to donate aging equipment to them that they're no longer using because they wanted cutting-edge equipment. Um, so we got them to donate some of that, and, and probably I'd say most of it's in equipment, and we've raised probably about 30000 total in cash. One of, the, one of the features of a lot of cons, and certainly of ones that the TRMN is associated with, uh, is the charity auction, um, in which um, items are, are sold uh, and the proceeds go to the charity being sponsored by the con. And the last honor con, um, we raised what Martin? Wasn't it like twelve thousand, something like that, um, um, from was, the charity? Yeah, twelve thousand is yeah. Yeah, um, and that was um, um, rising grace. Have I got that right, Martin? Um, it's a, it's a, um, it's an save, organization, save saving, grace. saving grace, saving grace. Okay. Uh, it's an organization that combines rescue dogs, um, and vets. Uh, 
it rescues dogs, trains them as support dogs, trains the vets who need support dogs, and then pairs them. Um, and it's just uh, a really, really, really good, uh, good cause. And this is in addition to everything they've done for for Big Cat Rescue. Um, yeah, Honorverse fans tend to be tend to be generous. I mean, this seems to be something on the order of what some of the old uh, community organizations would do. You know, people that that are interested in something like giving speeches like The Optimist or what have you, um, and they would adopt a charity. Have you, you've done something like that, right, Martin? Yeah. So, I mean, so one of the things that we've done, because we also run uh, or used to run HonorCon until this was the last year last year, and uh, Manticon, which is the last year this year, um, but we're starting up a new one called SyncsCon in Atlanta. Um, but what we what we used to do was every other year they had Big Cat Rescue as their as their charity, and then the next year they chose a local charity. So we had um, you know we've had uh, local cancer charities, we've had youth charities, we've had things like Saving Grace Canines, um, and this way we've always managed to give something to Big Cat Rescue every year, plus we've had at least one or two others that we do stuff for. Um, One of our members does marathon runs for charity um, every year, um, multiple marathon runs. So, How many people are in the Royal Manticore and Navy fan group? um, I'm going to say 5,000-ish. It's like 5,200-ish maybe at the moment. Yeah, that's crazy, um, a, and you're divided into ships. Uh, yes, yeah, so each local chapter is what would be considered a ship in the Royal Manticore Navy or one of the other space navies that are part of the group. Um, it's a it's a fun way include, to sort of give each person an the identity. Grayson's, the Havenites, yeah, yeah. yeah. It would, uh, I mean, it's it's probably helpful that um, the actual group in David's books has a hierarchical organization and and has ships. It seems a natural way to organize yourself. Easier. Yeah. Yeah. It certainly yeah. makes it easier. Yeah. So. Um, well, okay. But, but, uh, Sonny, yeah. between the 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 ship. The, the local chapter level there and and the and the apex of the organization there are also fleets that cover geographical areas that then the ships are individual chapters within so for example here in the southeast um, it's uh, third fleet um, and technically Correct. Sharon and the kids and I are all members of third fleet and members of the crew of uh, uh, HMS Duke of Cromarty which is the the royal yacht. Um, but it's not just a gold-plated ship. It's a fully operational, tear-your-face-off battle cruiser. So, you know, it's not like we're on, on wusses here, you know. But, yeah, that that's part of the, the flavor of the organization. Yeah, I would actually say that the, that the only member that's not on a chapter, and that's by choice, is myself. Mm-hmm. Um, what th- this, a- this way it's... Because this way it's easy for me to sort of interact with every chapter and be, quote-unquote, part of every chapter without being specifically belonging to one. 
Well, what is um, what does the chapter do other than attend uh, conventions? So it varies from chapter to chapter. Um, for example, we have multiple chapters around the country that do uh, gaming. Um, we have mm-hmm. multiple chapters around the country that do charity events. We have some that do um, things like movie nights. There's at least one chapter that that every year basically cycles through um, both the Horatio Hornblower and Sharps Rifle series as an example. Um, mm-hmm. So well, it's up to each individual chapter sort of what they want to do as a group. Yeah, Sharon and the kids and I just had dinner last night with um, as many members of the of the Duke of Cromarty as could get there um, at uh, one of our local uh, Red Bull restaurants. Um, and we've done we've done movies. And then there's been the um, remember the uh, the reading challenge, Martin, which was kind of organization wide um, with um, members of the organization competing for total number of words read uh, in, in a year. Um, and I, (laughs) I unfortunately got involved with, um, a, uh, uh, I think 12 volume history, which I read all of, (laughs) I had a lot of words (laughs) to turn in that year. (laughs) You're naturally competitive. We, we try to encourage things like that, 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 that are group events. And we, so in the books, there's a, I believe it's the, uh, the Queen's Gunnery Challenge, the Black Sphinx Cup. So that's mm-hmm. sort of what this is. We, we have a way for chapters to sort of, you know, sort of compete against each other in a friendly manner. And it's multiple challenges throughout the year. One of them is a reading challenge. One of them is, you know, usually around the holidays, um, it's it's charity drives or toys for tots. Um, one of them might be, you know, going out and doing physical activities, and it's and don't forget the Horizons Bridge Simulator. Right, the, the, you know, the, the Horizons Bridge Simulator part, part part of it as well, and we try to do things that that encourage people to do things together and to pool their resources. And you do a little costuming. Very much like a family. You you do a little costuming too. We do quite a bit of costuming. Some more than others. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. Well, okay. Okay. Um, At um, at uh, Manticon um, next month, um, Sharon and I we just uh, renewed our our wedding vows after our twentieth anniversary on Saturday. Some of you were here for that. Um, and um, we will be renewing our vows again with our fan family uh, at Manticon, and it's going to be a full-bore cosplay event uh, with the Grand Duke and Grand Duchess uh, uh, exchanging vows, um, and it should be it should be kind of cool. Well, that's cool. Manticon is in Minneapolis, and it's coming up at the end of May. Mm-hmm. Uh, correct. Um, Memorial Day weekend. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's it's really it's really the Honorverse Con that sucked Anton in to begin with. He was part. Okay, Sharon and I met Anton, uh, like he said, years ago, um, and um, 
we have uh, come to rely on him for a lot of things in in a lot of ways. Um, but he is especially active in Condom in the uh, in 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 the Minneapolis area, um, where he bears responsibility. It is his fault that I was ever taken to a Mongolian barbecue in the first place. All right. This yeah, is, we did. It is there. all his fault. His fault. Okay. I just thought I'd get that on the record. And we shall do so again. He is, he is an enabler in that respect. Uh-huh. Sounds like you have a little Mongolian. That is actually my job is to enable barbecue habit there, David. What, so, uh, oh, oh, tell oh. us, Anton, what is it like to be? You call yourself an author like liaison. What does that mean? What do you do? Um, and and what's it like to interact with David and with other authors? <laughs> okay, well, basically, go ahead. I, I liaison not is nothing more. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, an author liaison is, and a liaison in general is to take care of the guest of honor. Um, their job is to make sure they get to their programs on time, to make sure they eat, apparently, Cons Mongolian barbecue a lot, uh, you know, to make sure they're taken care of. So, working with David has been an absolute joy. He tends to talk a little much, so sometimes we have to mention to him that his panel is now done. Um, no. But he actually is really good to work with. Yeah, that never happens. No, it's that's actually yeah. he's one of the better guests that I've worked with. Um, just because Only he's so he friendly with the attendees, books. I've worked with. Yeah, <laughs> Go ahead. which he never does. I'm sorry, um, I've just, worked with I, a number I'm of just... authors that are like. So, how are you involved with uh, with with Mandicott in particular, Anton? Well, like David said, I had met him at another science fiction convention called Convergence, I think it was 2006, where I was his liaison um, at my choice because, again, I was a very large fan of David. I don't think David believed I had actually read any of his books at that point, um, and I had read them all, I but believe, I was able to work with I him that weekend. You because you have an honest <laughs> faith. He does yeah. have an honest um, faith, anyway. doesn't he? Anyway. <laughs> Who knows what lurks behind there? Exactly. Um, I have them all fools. No, I don't. Um, unfortunately, I am unfortunately very honest in that respect. Um, but when Manticon and HonorCon started coming together, um, it was decided that I could be, you know, help out HonorCon in the first year, especially. And then, of course, Manticon is here. So it's, you know, about two miles from where I live. So being involved in that was no problem. I actually do about 10 to 12 type of events a year. So this is where all my vacation for my actual day job goes. Yeah, let me let me let me say um guest liaisons uh minders um they come in three flavors. One is the I could stand to do that again flavor. One is the my god, what was the con thinking flavor. Uh and the other is hey, this really clicked flavor. Um Anton falls into the last category. Um, he is um, he knows his way around. He is unfailingly uh, helpful. Um, and he is always uh, on top of 
the schedule and 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 where you need to be and when you need to be. At at some big cons, if you don't have a minder, you can't even find the panel room, uh, much less uh, make your your schedule. I mean, you know, these are the these are the mega cons like Dragon Con and 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 whatnot. Um, but I have never been to a con where Anton was my liaison, where I didn't feel that I knew exactly what was going on, okay? That I, I could rely on Anton to get me where I needed to be and, and get me there when I needed to be there, and to look after Sharon, okay, which with her spinal surgeries and whatnot is a not insignificant uh, part of the of the puzzle. But I've been at cons where I had liaisons and I didn't know if they knew what they were doing. Okay. Who, you know, they're constantly checking the schedule themselves and, and saying, I don't, I'm not sure where we're supposed to be. Okay. Anton, even if he doesn't have a clue where you're supposed to be, he says, Oh yeah, yeah, I know where we're going. <laughs> and you feel so confident that <laughs> that doesn't matter. Exactly. Um, yeah. As I, long as we're I, singing I, I, Anton's phrases, um, if yeah. I could come in real quick to sing Anton's praises also. So this is Chris again. And so the the very first Honor Con was uh hosted by Bu Nine in twenty thirteen in Greenville. Um and it it was uh it was somewhat of a different con. Um and we weren't really interested in being in the long term con running a business, so we turned it over to TRMN because they're they're a five thousand person organization. We're like a twenty person organization. Um, but, uh, before we went to that con, Tom Pope and I went to DemiCon where David was going to be the guest of honor. DemiCon is a small con in Des Moines, Iowa, which happens to be where I am from. And my brother goes to this con all the time. And so when we heard David was going to be the guest of honor, it's like, yeah, we need to go there. And they had recruited, uh, Anton to be David's handler at DemiCon. So that's where Bu9 met Anton. And we, you know, I remember at one point very early on, Tom and I sort of said, yeah, we need this guy. <laughs> we need him to come and be David's handler at, at, uh, at, at the first honor con. Um, and so, uh, and, and it was a perfect decision. And so now we've, we've brought him into Bu9 um, because Bu9 has to do liaison work with like uh, the the fan club, et cetera, et cetera, and so it's always good to have somebody who's who's really good about fulfilling that role. Um, so he's been fantastic at that. Um, to to continue to say on praises, one of the roles that he has in TRMN is actually as one of our ombudsmen to reach out to the general members, so that they have a place they can go that's not necessarily myself. It's not necessarily, you know, one of the quote-unquote rarefied heights, if you will, that if they have issues or problems, they have someone they can go speak to who, who they feel comfortable talking to who can then bring those problems to us and, and you know, we can begin to fix them. And, and, and Anton does a pretty good job of that, and, and it's something that, that I personally can't can't sing his praises enough for so well i would mm. yeah, and that actually in order to let anton off the hook a little bit here because i know how we're oh, thank you, you know, hammering this really way has to be terrible uh but um 
One of the things that um, the TRMN um, is very, very, very good about um, is they really look after Sharon and me and the kids when they're at a con. Uh, If we have the kids with us at at a regional con and the TRMN is there, you know, we've got 11 more uncles and 12 more aunts to to kind of, you know, help keep an eye on things. But one of the things that gets kind of interesting when you have an organization this size is that on the one hand, um, Martin and the organization as a whole have been really, really good about protecting Sharon and my privacy. Uh, the, the, you know, it's, it's not like just because you're a member of the TRMN, go ahead and call Dave, you know, anytime you want. Because we are private people, uh, and, and we have lives <laughs> that we have to deal with. I'm a little bit behind on the current book. I know that's going to be difficult for anyone to believe, but it's true. At, at the same time, however, we make personal friends and connections within the organization as we meet people. And those people become part of our our regular circle of, of friends. Um, and so in some ways, the, the author is in, it's not an awkward position, um, but in a kind of one step to the side of, of um, what I guess you would call uh, full two-way uh, communication. Um, the how do you mean, David? Explain that some more. That's very. Uh... Let me let me let me, let me put Sorry. it this way. I have a fan who shall remain nameless. Okay, who is scary? All right. Um, uh, in terms of just how obsessed he seems to be uh, with the the books and the characters, um, and with me as the creator of the characters, and who uh, we know has has wandered by the house on occasion, even though he's not from around here. Um, that kind of situation is the downside of fandom. When you when you when you encounter someone like that, or like the person who uh, was after Misty Lackey uh, because her her guardian's novels uh, he felt were endangering him because he was a guardian. Uh, you know, you meet fans like that, and you go, "Oh my God!" kind of thing. Um, what the TRMN does is it provides um, uh, uh, an avenue. For people who are not the loony fringe, but who really are deeply invested in the books and the organization, it gives them a group that they can join and that they can share their interest with that has official access to me and to Sharon and to to the universe. Sharon and I really try hard to interact with, with the fans. Sharon is more of our social presence than I am because I stay away from social media because of the time sink aspect of it. And yet there's a filter in there in which the fans are always, 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 the chairman is always painstakingly careful about respecting our privacy as well. Um, And that's a difficult balance uh, to strike. 
Um, so I can I, I can I can speak to that a little bit because it's it's one of the things that because David is and and Sharon both are such wonderful people and they're so giving of their time, we felt it very important early on to put a rule in place that, you know, if you're going to go and, you know, discuss, you know, general, you know, how's the weather, how's the kids, you're, you're their close personal friend, go for it. Have all the fun in the world that you want, you know, as long as, as long as it's reciprocated, obviously. But, don't you know we're fans and I, and I and I hate to say it this way we have people who who get into the minutia of of things so you know don't don't go don't go and bother David and Sharon with the minutia details leave that to us to work out and if there's an issue that we need their input on we'll reach out from an organizational perspective from my office or from one of the other senior offices and say hey this is a question that came up. Can we get some guidance on this? Mm-hmm. And, well, and we have we try to enforce. Go, Martin. Yeah, we try to enforce that to give you guys, you know, the space that you deserve. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Uh, well, I have to say, you know, I get from from totally outside the TRMN. I got a question the other day that was PM'd to me on my on my website. And they wanted to know what embroidery knot Grayson uses when it's doing the the, the when when their 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 seamstresses are embroidering the tabards. It's one thing if somebody says, "Okay, I'm going to cosplay somebody from thus and so." I could you give me any details and so forth and so forth and so on. But when somebody wants to know what embroidery stitch is being used. First of all, it's a very strange author who could answer that question off the top of his head. <laughs> you know, it's not like we sit there and say, well, yes, it's the overhand two-loop flying swan embroidery stitch, you know. That is true, David, but on the other hand, if any author could answer that, it might probably be you. <clears throat> I know we're talking about the Honorverse right now, but I actually got a pass on the info dumps from somebody in another series because it was the safe hold series. And I say, well, of course, he has to explain it there. And I'm like, okay, but I have to explain it over here, too, so you know what's happening. And they're like, not so much. I'm like, hey, well, you know? I was just talking about more about your obsessive um, uh, making details work out that uh, that some authors have lied over. Not so much that you yeah. uh, that you take 15 there- pages uh, to <laughs> never mind. <laughs> So, yeah. Uh, well, okay. But as, I, as I you have say, said often before, every goddamn bit of that uh, that you leave out so much stuff, and that every oh, bit yeah. of uh, every bit of exposition in a Weber novel gets used somewhere. Part of the story. Well, I I I, I like to think so. Uh, I'm sure some of it gets away from me. But the the thing is that the person who's really to blame for this, <clears throat> in a lot of ways, is Annie McCaffrey, because. My starting point when I build a literary world is Pern. I remember when I was reading it in analog and reading the first novel uh, in um, Dragonflight, in uh, serialization in analog when I was in high school, uh, many millennia ago, 
I remember the day that it dawned on me that there was a whole world behind this story. Okay? I'm not saying that I hadn't already, I'd already encountered, for God's sake, Tolkien. Okay? And if you want to talk about your compulsive world builder, there you go. Um, But Annie gave me that sense that there's this whole world back there, and it's when you peel the curtain aside a little bit uh, and let the reader see some of the bone and the sinew uh, in, in, in the world that it truly becomes a living, breathing thing for them. And I have always loved world building. Uh, back in my gaming days, they always made me be the game master. Can't imagine why. Um, and I'm a historian um, uh, at heart. And so putting together all the bits and pieces is one of the most enjoyable exercises for me in building the world that my characters are going to inhabit. And if you build the world, you define the nature of the challenges and the tools that they have to to meet those challenges. Um, And there are times... My my feeling is, and some people like this and some people don't like this, uh, my feeling is that the reader has to know what the menu of choices for the characters are to appreciate the decisions the characters make. And that means you have to show them enough of the, the hardware, of the strategic problem, of the information flow or whatever for you to really understand why they're doing what they're doing. Um, and there are, a, there are a couple of books that I would like to get back to edit a little more tightly, uh, that because of production time constraints or because of health issues on my part, I didn't edit as tightly as I should have. Um, and when you have God, I don't know how many I've got out now, um, a bunch, um, but when you, when you've got that many books out, You've got a lot of exposure for having had an off day. <laughs> you know what I'm saying here. Um, and there are there are times when I, I wish I had given a little less detail. But well, it's the detail um, that's there, even when you don't see it, that provides the the, the, the continuity and the sense of depth. Well, the but you have said also before uh, that you've done so much, particularly in the honorverse and 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 in particular, um, that even you can't really hold it all in your head. Uh, and this is where uh, this very interesting uh, group of readers um, became very useful to you, um, and that would be Bu Nine. And maybe we can, maybe Chris and Arius can talk a little bit about how. How that process, or in David, of course, jumping in when uh, to to elucidate. So um, I'd like to start off on that by going back to something David said very early on um, when he said that one of us hadn't read the books. I believe he was referring <laughs> to me. I wasn't um, going to say anything. And that is a statement that is no longer true and hasn't been true for several years. But he is making fun no. of the fact that that for years 
Um, the early years of BU9, I actually had not read any of the Anna Harrington stuff. I had been a big fan of a bunch of uh, David's other work. Um, and when it, I, I had bought every one when they came out, and I had bought the first one when it came out, and it was clear that it was the beginning of a new series, and I thought I'll let him get a couple of books into it. And next thing I knew, there was 50 books in the series and a new one coming out every six weeks, um, <laughs> at least what it seemed. But – uh, but that's you know that's neither here nor there. Uh, so, well, no, actually, mind- actually, Chris, actually, Chris, let me let me in, <laughs> let me interject something here. Okay. One thing that one thing that that meant was that Chris asked questions that people who had read all the books didn't ask because they thought they knew the answers, and that was very useful. And that was I, all I, I still. To say. I'm doing that. Um, so, yeah, I, I got involved because I had spent a lot of time hanging out at sea with the United States Navy. And as a result, during the BU-9 sort of coalesced around a bunch of people that had contacted um, um, Ken Burnside, who was doing, uh, whose game company was publishing the, the, the board game that was set in the Honor Harrington universe. And um, Ken then turned to us when when somebody who was going to try to make a movie in that universe wanted some ideas about look and feel and how does the Navy do things, et cetera, et cetera, so that he could make his material as realistic as possible. And at some point, we had spent enough time talking to each other via email that we said, hey, let's get together in person. And so that's what we ended up doing. Now, one of our members, one of the other founders, Tom Pope, um, is our sort of de facto official archivist. Um, yes. and, and he's, you know, so he's got pretty much files on everything. And a lot of times, you know, we'll get a request from the fan club cause we, we, you know, we, we pass stuff on to the fan club. Um, and so we'll get a request. It's like, you know, there's this wrench that was mentioned in this one particular book and it was a specifically this left-handed wrench. Um, do you guys know what that looks like? <laughs> I'll pass it on to Tom, and Tom goes, oh, yeah, I've got like four pages of sketches of the wrench. Now, that, that's obviously an exaggerated example, but but it's not unusual for Tom to have spent some time sketching things out. Maybe Thomas Maroney, the other, one of the other artists in the group, has done some sketches as well. And Tom is the guy who keeps all that stuff together. Now, we have an internal wiki where we try to uh, keep together all of our, our textual notes, but a lot of the stuff we do is not textual. And almost all of that it rests in Tom's hands. Um, we do have kind of a knowledge management problem that we're constantly wrestling with, um, primarily because all the members of BU9 have day jobs. <clears throat> and so what mm-hmm. we're doing is what we can sort of fit in in between the other things that we do. Um, so uh, let's see, Arius. Do you have anything that you want to add to to that process? Yeah, the uh, a lot of the a lot of what happens in View Nine is we have really long conversations with the, with each other about topics that uh, that Dave has asked us to take a look at. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I spent an awful lot of one honor con in a room with Steven Ryder just discussing the economic system in, in the honorverse. Uh, and that's, that a lot of stuff gets hashed out before we even talk to Dave, uh, 
to either answer a question or to ask questions for uh, stuff that might and, need clarification. Yeah. And, and, uh, and we actually, all. I was going to say we actually have a policy that, whenever possible, we've fully had that conversation before going to David with a question. And the reason why is because, you know, since we're do, we, we try to do a very deliberate process, we've got a lot of people who've read the material. They can they can cite stuff chapter and verse. We can go back and double check everything. We can pull things from disparate books and try to figure out how it all fits together. And once we've done that, when we go to David, we try to be able to say, here's the question. And here's what we think the answer might be based upon what, what, what you've written. Because we don't ever want to put David in a situation where he's going to give an off-the-cuff answer on something that he has not had a lot of time to like go back and check his notes and think about, et cetera, et cetera. Because I'm sure this will shock everybody. David will give an off-the-cuff answer. He, he, he usually doesn't say, let me think about that and get back to you. Um, so yeah. we've uh, we've the, we've learned I, that we need to be to do, deliberative about that. Well, and I and I tend to do that more with you nine than I do with other people to to say let me get back to you on that or say let me check with Tom and I'll get back to you on that. Um, <laughs> Tom, for his sins, is the one who has to put up with the most David having an ooh shiny moment while we're talking about something. Um, we'll be talking about. Tom and I have had a lot of uh, uh, very deep uh, in, in, in terms of the detail involved and the, the how does this get to the inner workings of the political system or whatever. Uh, Tom and I have probably had more of those discussions than anyone else because he is. We're talking our about Tom Pope, also, who is a co-author also on a call to uh, right. called Vengeance, which is just out. Yeah, and I was. And I was going to say, and also because of the fact that he has collaborated with Tim and me on the Manticore Ascendant books. So he is, in, a, in as much as his time crunch permits, um, he is, is very, very much front and center in this. And, for example, while I was working on Uncompromising Honor, uh, the, one of the things that I had pulled up on my second computer here in the office was the um, the spreadsheet that Tom has done on every named class of ship in the Honorverse, so that I could flip over there and look at it to be uh, uh, connected with um, the okay. This is the number of missile launchers. This is the number of the point defense centers. This is the complement of the ship. You know, at the maximum acceleration rate, etc. All in one place. And when you have been writing a series for 25 years, there's a lot of ship classes, there's a lot of background information there, and I really, really want, it's one of the things that's important to me, to get the continuity as tight as I can. Bu 9 has been a godsend uh, in that respect. And um, as Arius was saying about the, the economic side of it and so forth, every member of Bu 9 has has his or her own own strength, own special section piece of of knowledge and expertise to bring to the project, like Mark Gudis uh, doing the law codes, like uh, Chris um, um, and the essay Chris that you did on uh, the the uh, the 
underlying assumptions and tasks of the Royal Manticoran Navy. There are things that I have in in the back of my head that are part of the underlying structure that I've never articulated because I never needed to in writing the stories. But they have to be articulated for someone who wants the stories explained to them, if you see the distinction that I'm making here. And Bunine has been just fantastic about helping to pull that stuff out of the back of my mind and refine it with their input, their very large input in some cases because of the expertise they bring to it, to bring it to uh, a fully realized facet of the universe and then fit it into place in those archives that Tom keeps. We should also say that uh, a lot of the, the earlier work that Budine did has been collected and you, uh, you can get it as a book out there, which is House of Steel, the Honorverse Companion. Yeah. Well, and um, we are, are still uh, uh, planning on, um, uh, in our copious free time, um, getting uh, at least two more uh, companions out. Um, if you look at the if you look at the companion uh, House House of Steel, the novella in in the front I I call it a novella. Other people call it a novel, but the story in the front that's all me. The vast majority of the material in there is not me. It's the members of Bu Nine in the areas that they were responsible for and that they had expertise with me riding shotgun, but them doing the, the, the lion's share of, of the work. Uh, me and being the... the cutting room floor, too. Oh, yeah. We left stuff yes, on the cutting yes. room floor because we had a, we had a, a word limit. Um, and there was, like, like for instance, we, we gave ship descriptions, ship class histories, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we have weapon system descriptions that are very similar to that and have long-term plans to do something with that. Um, we yeah. haven't quite figured out yet what, because before we do that, we have to do House of Lies, which um, we were, because we support David so tightly, um, when David had a bad case of life happen to him, we decided that we would have a bad case of life happen to us too at the same time because it's more efficient for all yes. of us to be able to not get things done than for one or the other of us to be holding things up. So um, I think everybody's least, getting Chris, to the case where we're... <laughs> but Chris, yeah, at least I was, only nipping in out of, I was only nipping in and out of emergency rooms once in the middle of all that, unlike other people. Um, yeah, but yeah. It, it, it yeah, is, that's true. I did yeah. have four trips to the emergency room in one week, but, but everything is great now, so... Yeah, we're all it's all better. It's all better. Um one thing that um that I'm thinking um uh, and I really haven't had a chance to sit down and discuss this with Chris and Tom. But one thing that I'm thinking is that after we have House of Lies and House of Shadows done, um we might do a um um ebook only version where we take some of that stuff from the cutting room floor uh and offer it to the hardcore aficionado um, in photons rather than dead tree. Um, but the, the biggest problem is, to be totally honest, time. Um, 
I have discovered I turn I turn two thirds of the number of the beast in October. I get the first two sixes. Um and I've discovered that at sixty six I really and truly cannot write three quarters of a million words a year anymore. Go figure. Um and I think that um uh, what I've been doing lately, compromising honor is an example. I think it's probably as good as anything I've ever done. But the production volume isn't there, which means that the time isn't there to do stuff around the edges the way that I used to. Um, well, maybe, David, after you get your prolong shot, uh, things will pick up a little. I still or, remember or, the person who said, well, maybe after the kids go off to college. <laughs> that may be. Yeah, the... I don't know. That's... That, okay, <laughs> that probably will help when the soccer schedule goes away and whatnot. Um, but um, it's uh, – I'm honestly thinking, um, for example, uh, the collaborations with, with Tim and Tom um, – they're letting me tell a part of the honorverse story that there's no way in the world I'd have time to tell um, on my own. I mean, I just, I, you know, the the the, the dark would come down, <laughs> you know, before I got there, um, and um, that's really in a in a sense kind of where I am with Joel, who, by the way, I met through Bu Nine, Joel Presby, uh, in the in the um, the um, Hellgate series. Um, yeah, who's who, yes, who's continuing the Hell's Gate uh, multiverse, what have you? Uh, and that and, weird and, and that's cool series. T and I need to get together in our my copious free time uh, <laughs> and get get that one done too. Um, anyway, what's 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 not to like about wizards and steampunk? Okay, I mean you know, um, just, they even fight each other. Yeah, well, you know, I, my favorite thing is is the wizards who panic when they run into the guys <laughs> with the steampunk. It's like, wait, wait, you mean you don't need a wizard to fire magic bolts? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, but I just uh, so I think that yeah, the, go ahead, go ahead. The fan groups and and particularly Bue Nine in this case has has become part of the creation process for you. They really have. Um, I think it would be it would be fair to say that there's no question that this is my universe, and that for better or for worse, where it goes is up to me. But in terms of a sounding board. Uh, to help me feel my way into where I want to go, uh, in terms of somebody who can help me put together the nuts and the bolts behind the concept that I want to work with, um, they are just um, invaluable. And any time that you're in a discussive situation about something like this, the information flows two ways. The input flows two ways. So even though the the, the skeleton uh, of the honorverse is is definitely my own now, the muscle and the sinew, uh, 
those are a lot more of a joint project between me and 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 view nine the simple fact that they help me keep track all by itself would be huge because it really cuts down the amount of time that I spend going through novels saying, now, where did I put that? Where did I put that? Where did I put that? Um, but it goes so far beyond that. Uh, it goes to, to, to Bill uh, working on the, the communications protocol. It goes to uh, Andy's essay on, on armor and, and uh, uh, missile design. Um, all of those are bricks that are provided to me by BU9 that I can then put into the edifice wherever I need them. And like I say, you, you cannot, cannot put a price tag on, on something like that. You just can't do it. And they're just, I mean, I, I, the people that, get, that want to get involved with it are quality, uh, quality intellects, which um, you might not always find in every, uh, every interest group. Well, Sharon said something to me uh, a couple of years ago that I hadn't really thought about. But she said, you know, David, one of the reasons you attract the readers that you do is because you don't write down to them. And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, you expect them to keep up with you. And they respect that. And they react to it. And I thought, you know, for somebody stupid enough to marry me, you're really insightful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I, I think, I think that's probably, probably true. Um, and and the BU nine guys are the the perfect example of how that works. When 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 the the right the right eye reads the words. You get view nine. That was part one of a two-part interview. Part two will be available on next week's podcast. This is another entry in Alliance of Equals. A Leaden Universe novel by Sharon Lee and Steve Miller. Beset by the angry remnants of the Department of the Interior, and challenged at every turn by opportunists on their new homeworld of Sherbleek, and low on funds, Clan Corval desperately needs to reestablish its position as one of the top trading clans in known space. To this end, Master Trader Sean Yoskalen and Corville's premier trade ship, Dutiful Passage, is on a mission to establish new business associations and to build a strong primary route that links well with existing loops and secondary routes. But re-establishing trade and preserving the lives of the few remaining members of the clan aren't all of Corval's problem. Matters come to a head as Dutiful Passage, accustomed to being welcomed and feeded at those ports on its call list, finds itself denied docking and blacklisting while agents of the DOI mounted armed attacks on others of Corville's traders under the very eyes of port security systems. Traveling with dutiful trader on this unsettling journey is Patty O'Scalen, the master trader's heir and his apprentice, 
Patty is eager to make up for time lost due to Corval's unpleasantness with the Department of the Interior, but she is also keeping a secret so intense that her coming of age, and perhaps her very life, is threatened by it. And here is the latest entry in Sharon Lee and Steve Miller's Alliance of Equals. Patty put the last of the cards down on the table and reached for her teacup. We have only three calls to make tomorrow, she said, and the locations are practically next door to each other. Thank you for verifying that Master Zeldner does have a shop on port. You're quite welcome. Do you have a plan of action for tomorrow? I will call the contacts tomorrow as soon as business opens and arrange appointments early in the day. I propose we make our cold calls in Bees Brickle section around those appointments. Take the light rail to Frost section and make cold calls there. And eat lunch, Father asked. And eat lunch, she agreed. Well, it seems a sound enough plan. I leave the details in your capable hands. Now, Will you join me at the window for a glass of wine and a discussion of our day? I'm very interested in your impressions. I should have handled the situation with Broker Plichette more adroitly, Paddy said. She was curled into the chair with her feet under her, a silhouette against the twilight glow from the window. I thought you did as well as you might have done he commented when she said nothing more. He was bent on creating mischief. You prevented that, demonstrated that you were a serious trader, and gave him an honorable way out of the situation. He sipped his wine. To be perfectly frank, master to Prentice, I'm not certain I would have given him a way out. He has colleagues and associates on port, Paddy protested. We might have lost business from those who would not be offended on my behalf. She sighed and took a gentle sip of wine. Langlast is very promising after our last several ports, she said slowly. I want us to do well. Commendable, Sean murmured. And I reiterate, you did do well. There was no subtlety you could have deployed which would have turned him from his course. He raised his glass. One cannot finesse a sledgehammer. Paddy grinned suddenly. I thought I'd been too subtle when he took so long to pick up the hint about the real merchandise, she said and chuckled. Sean drew in a soft breath at that chuckle and sipped wine carefully to cover the moment. So then, we'll allow that it went as well as it could have gone, and far better than it might have gone. I commend you on your adroitness, your quick thinking, and your control over your temper. Paddy tipped her head. You didn't do anything, did you, father? There was nothing for me to do, he said calmly. She snorted lightly. You let me know his state of mind. The state of his emotions, say rather. It was a small thing, and he was broadcasting rather loudly. So my gift, 
whatever it comes to be, will, uh, perhaps, enhance my ability to trade. It may, he said, moving his shoulders. It may not. I would venture to say that it will not enhance your ability, though it may be occasionally useful in preventing you from being cheated or getting hit on the head. She was silent, and he caught a strong edge of wistful aversion. So reluctant to accept your nature, Patty. I don't want to be like Aunt Anthora. That came out in a burst of utter honesty. Sean blinked and leaned forward to put his glass on the table. Now, I was under the impression that you were rather fond of your aunt, Anthora. I was, I am, but her gift, the burden of her gift, is too much. It made her so, so... She flailed briefly for a word and finally produced... Odd. Sean sighed. I won't dispute that your aunt is odd, or that her gift is a heavy one. However, as her fond brother and her elder, I may say with authority that she has always been odd. Whether her gift has made her odder, with whom would we compare her? Patty was silent. Sean sighed. I think that there is a very good reason why gifts of this sort come to us when we are halfling. Yes, there are hormonal and biologic reasons, but there is also this other reason. By the time we are halflings, our basic nature is formed. Not even the sudden addition of a strange and delightful ability can warp us at the core. Certainly, it's necessary to adapt but we adapt constantly. And may I say, Corval adapts more quickly than many. The arrival of your gift, in whatever form it takes, can only enhance you. She doubted it still. He felt it. He also felt her want to believe him. It will be well, he said, projecting a strong line of comfort. In fact, I am so certain that it will be well that I propose a wager. She shifted slightly in her chair. What wager? She asked with the caution of one who had wagered with him before. Sean grinned. I know you for a careful gambler, so instead of a wager, I'll make a proposal. I propose that one standard from this day you will have accepted your gift entirely and will scarcely remember a time when you wished it at the devil. After a moment, Paddy shook her head. It's a fine proposal, Father, and one that I would like to embrace, but what if that's not the case? Sean took a careful breath, for this was a gamble indeed. As it happens, while your gift will not diminish you, and this I believe utterly. He allowed his conviction to reach her through their link. You can choose to be diminished. So if you will have it as a wager in truth, here is the opposite side of the coin. If, in one standard year, it is not as I have proposed, I will myself 
take you to the healers, and we will together petition them to seal your gift away and cast the memory of having held it into the deep mists of forgetting. Paddy gasped. The healers? That is possible? In some few cases. I would expect that your aunt Anthora is one of them, and your uncle Renzel another. It is not possible, but in most, yes, it can be done. There are, naturally, risks and consequences to taking such an action. These will be explained to you thoroughly. If you petition the healers for this thing. Paddy was silent. He could feel the weight of her thought and was silent, sipping his wine reflectively. I accept, she said all at once, and Terran Wise leaned toward him with her hand held out. Sean met her, noting how chill her flesh was, and solemnly shook. Done, he said. That was another entry in the complete audiobook serialization of Alliance of Equals by Sharon Lee and Steve Miller. And that's it for the podcast. Thanks to Audible.com and to podcast theme composer Ruth Judkowitz and a colossal Dyson sphere filled with the flora and fauna of a galactic empire, all singing musical numbers just like all of nature does when we aren't looking, plus the thanks, praises, and plaudits of grateful readers and fans everywhere to David Weber, Martin Lessam, Christopher Weave, Anton Peterson, and Arias Kaufman. And remember that uncompromising honor, David Weber's next entry in the Honorverse, is available in e-art form at Bain eBooks. Please join us next time here at the hammering heart of science fiction and fantasy and keep reaching for the stars. 